All right. All right, all right, all right, all right. How's everybody doing today? Yes, welcome to Metro Praise International. How is everybody feeling? I said, how's everybody feeling today? Yes, that's what I want to hear. I want to hear some excitement in your guys' voices. I want to be able to feel your energy and you know, your attitude that you're happy to be here in the house of the Lord. Amen? All right. I'm Pastor Tony. I'm one of the campus pastors here at Metro Praise. If you guys are here for the first time, thank you very much for joining us. You guys are loved. We appreciate you uh, worshiping with us today. Uh, why don't we all stand before we begin? All right. Now, before we start our service, before we get into worship, you know, I have someone, either a male or female, come up, brother, sister in Christ, come up and share uh, what the Lord has done in their life recently. And I would like to call my brother Brian. I love this guy right here, man. He's going to come up and share. Yes, give him a warm welcome as he comes up on stage and shares. Hello. Hi, Jerry. How's everybody doing? So just a quick testimony. Um, a couple of days ago, I was at work, and uh, I was working with one of my coworkers who happens to be a fellow Christian, brother in Christ. And uh, throughout the work day, I just noticed that something was troubling him, that he just seemed a little down. And, uh, I asked him what was bothering him, but at first he didn't really want to tell me. He didn't want to open up. He's like, you know, I don't really talk to nobody. Uh, and he said he doesn't even talk to any of his friends at his church. You know, after a while, bugging him a little bit, uh, he finally decided to open up and uh, just tell me what was burdening him and stuff like that. And uh, I had a chance to pray with him and talk with him. And, uh, and it was really cool. And uh, the next day at work, he came and uh, he just was just saying that he felt like total freedom, like such a relief, you know, after just talking and being able to, to pray with him, you know. And... Uh, so that was, that was pretty cool to me, and uh, it was pretty amazing to see God, God work like that, especially in somebody else's life. And it reminded me of scripture here in uh, Hebrews 3, 13, but encourage one another daily, as long as it is called today. Yeah. Amen. So I'm just going to pray and go to word. Lord, uh, God, we thank you, God. We thank you, God, that uh, you care for us, God. And uh, as brothers and sisters in Christ, God, we can lift each other's burdens, God, and uh, be accountable and to talk with each other, God. I thank you, God, for freedom, God, that comes through your word and knowing you, God. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.
Your faith, the kindness brings us hope. 
sing your praise will ever be on my lips. brother of our Salvador, and um, a couple years back, him and his wife had a child, a premature, and had passed, um, and he's now in heaven with the Lord, but I remember that when Salvador came back to church, and this was back when we were at Irving Park, as a church, I saw him, and I looked at my brother, and I was like, man, you know, he's going through a lot, I can never know. Felt led in my heart that I just wanted to pray for him, and I asked God, like, God, give me a word. God, I want a word that would just go ahead and touch him, and so that his life would be changed, and know that he loves you, that you love him, Lord. And and I remember that we got in groups in our church. We pray in the morning before we have service. We commit our time, we commit the service and everything that we do unto the Lord. And and similar back then, we got into groups, and I partnered up with Sal and somebody else, and. And we started to pray. And I remember, I was just, God, give me a word, give me a word. And this is all it was. It's just tell them to worship. And I thought that was too simple of a word. I'm like, that can't be it. There has to be more. Maybe there's like a verse attached. Maybe thou says the Lord, right? And I just kept listening. I'm like, God, I want a word for him. Tell him this is his season of worship. He's like, okay, God. 
And so I remember I shared a word. I looked him in the eye and I said, listen, brother, I really feel God says this word for you, that this is going to be your season of worship, and God wants you to worship him. That's how you're going to get through this. You're going to worship God. And I was expecting him to, like, buckle at the knee and just fall and just the Holy Spirit just come over him, right? And it, that, that didn't happen. Remember, we prayed. We ended that prayer time. We went out with service. And a couple months later, he comes up and he testifies. And he says that God brought him through that season because there was a word that he was to worship God through the good and the bad. And he still testifies, if you were to ask him today, that God gave him a word. Isn't that amazing? That song we just sang, that your praise will ever be on our lips, right? I want us to sing that again right now, just as a church. Come on, I know there's third songs and fourth songs that we can sing right now, but I want us as a church right now to just get in the atmosphere, attitude of worship. Come on, the Holy Spirit's here, and in our hearts, I want to show you where it means to go deep. You don't need a whole song. All you need is a couple of chords sometimes, right? And so right now, Lord, we just ask that everyone here, God, that you would come in intimacy. Intimacy. Come on, man, help them out. That you would come right now, Jesus. You would press upon their hearts, your will, your desire. God, it's our season of worship. And in this time right now as a church, we lift our voice. Come on, church. Just begin to lift your voice.
before you that you endured the cross. Oh, 
you guys to Metro Praise and I want to preach the gospel to you so that you would know how to leave here saved and sanctified, set apart and ready for whatever God has for you. So I'm going to be reading the scripture to you. It's in Matthew 7, 24 through 27. It says, Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine, this is Jesus talking to us, Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rains came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house, yet it did not fall because it had its foundation on the rock. If we hear God's words and we do not put them into practice, we are like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. Who knows that if you build a sand castle, it's only a matter of time before the waves come crashing on the shore and just take it apart. Have you ever watched a little child build a house on the sand with their little sand castle, and then the waves come up and it almost just devastates them because it's just been washed away, all that hard work. And that's what this life is. If we are building our house in the sand, it's only one blow of the wind. It's only one wave that comes crashing and your whole world falls apart. But when you put your life on the rock, which is Jesus, that house will always stand. And if your world seems to be falling apart 
and it feels like the waves just keep coming and the typhoon is coming. It's like know that the rock is always going to be there and he's always going to stand and he's always going to have your firm foundation. And it doesn't matter what the enemy throws your way, what this world gives to you, because Jesus is always there and he's got your back and he has your best interest in mind. It doesn't make that everything is just going to be better and going to be just perfect. But it's saying that when you feel like the waves are just going to take you out, they don't. Because you know that Jesus is in control and he is sovereign. And so if that is the, that is the promise for you, give your life to Jesus. And you just say, Jesus, I want you to be the Lord of my life. And I want to give you everything, and I want to trust you in all the details, and I want to plant my life on a firm foundation. Will you help me do that to live for you today and every day moving forward? And during our fellowship time, we're going to have a couple of prayer workers up here to pray with you. And they'll pray with you about anything. If you feel like you've, you've gone astray or you've gotten complacent or you just don't know what it's like to live for Jesus, they will pray for you and they will help you get connected. So I just want to pray with everybody here. If you all stand up with me and we'll just bow our heads and close our eyes. Jesus, you are the firm foundation. You are the rock on which we stand. And we know it's the rock that planted the church. God, and so I pray for every person here that they would know that you are their foundation and that they don't have to worry about the waves that come or the winds that blow, but that they can rest upon you, God, and know that you will take every blow because you already have and you have already won the victory. And we love you, Jesus. And so I just pray that they would get their life right. They would get the prayer that they need. They would get the discipleship that to, to help them live for you each and every day moving forward, God. And that you would just give them peace that passes all understanding. And I pray that they will praise you in the storm. And they will praise you in the sunshine, God. And every day in between, Lord. And we just lift this up in your mighty name. And everybody says amen. Amen. And then we're going to recite our confession of faith. This is our Christian worldview. This is what believers believe all around the world. Even in Pakistan, where they are being persecuted, they believe in these things. These are the foundations of our faith. So if you guys would recite this with me on the count of three. One, two, three. I believe in one God and creator who is the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. The Father who so loved the world, the Son who purchased my salvation in his death, burial, and resurrection, and the Holy Spirit who makes me new and abides in me forever. I believe in the perfect Holy Bible that reveals God's purposes and plans for my life. I believe in the second coming of Jesus who will judge the living and the dead. I believe in the eternal reward of believers in Jesus and the eternal punishment for all unbelievers in Jesus. I believe in the United Church of Jesus Christ, built upon apostles and prophets, elders and deacons, in which the gates of hell shall not prevail. I believe in the salvation for all mankind is by faith alone, in Christ alone, by God's grace alone, and for the glory of God alone. Amen. Greet your neighbor. Give somebody a high five. Hug them. Welcome them.
All right. Welcome to Metro Praise International. Who's excited to be at church today? Come on for our second service. Yes, we do. We welcome all of you. Thank you for joining us. Our services here are every Sunday at 10 a.m. and 1 p.m. We have King's Kids in the back for our children, infant to 11 years old. So if you don't have any children or have any, please feel free to drop them off back there. We have wonderful children's workers. And then we have Elevate every Friday at 7 p.m. This is for our students 11 to 18 years old. This is our youth group service. It's a whole bunch of fun. God's doing an awesome thing in, thing in the lives of our teenagers. So if you know students in that age group, please invite them to be here with us on Friday nights. We're ready to have this outreach with you guys, West Side Back to School Outreach. It's next Saturday, August 6th at 9 a.m. meeting here at the church. How many of you guys are making plans to join us to be out there to give away all the free school supplies? Come on. It's going to be a whole church effort. All of your giving towards the building fund for the month of August is all going towards this. So if you want to see your giving in action, be a part of this outreach with us. We're going to be giving away free food out there. We're going to have music, activities. We're going to be raffling out two brand new laptops, giving away school supplies for 100 students. So it's just going to be an awesome time of blessing this neighborhood. So come on out and join us, and let's be a blessing to them as we pour out the love of God in that community. Our vision here at MPI is very simple. It's loving God and loving people. And our strategy is to connect, mentor, and send. We want to connect you to our life groups. We want to mentor you through the 101 and 201 books that we have. And then we want to send you out to do evangelism. And our goal in doing that is to have 100,000 disciples in Chicago. Somebody say disciples. Here in Chicago with 50 churches and 500 around the world. So look to your neighbor and say, it's time to get connected. Here's a snapshot of the life groups that we have kicking off this week. By a show of hands, just wave them in the air. Who's going to life groups this week? Come on, this is all, all this stuff going on. So if you turn your hand out around, you can see the schedule for this quarter, July, August, and September. Find a place to get connected with you and your family. So kicking it off today, we have our single moms. Child care is provided. They're meeting at 5.30. Tuesday, the Resistance Youth Life Group, 11 to 18 years old, 6 p.m. here at the church. Wednesdays, every week, we have our King's Kids Life Group, infant to 11 years old, 6.30 here at the church. Thursday is our gang outreach, 18 years and up, 7 p.m., meeting here at the church. Awesome ministry. If you haven't been a part of it and you feel God is really tugging on your heart to do it, join them. Fridays, we have two adult Bible studies, one at the Govea's, the other one at the Vivid's house. 18 years and up, 7 p.m., join them at those address, addresses and get refreshed throughout your week. And then on Saturday, we have the Ambassadors Youth Life Group, 11 to 18 years old, 1 p.m., meeting at the address. So there's always something to do. Look to your neighbor and say, there's always something to do. So don't feel left out. There's always an opportunity for you to get connected and build friendships in the church. So now we want to get you mentored. And we want to mentor you through our 101 and 201 books. Our 101 book is called Welcome to Your New Life. This book is done one-on-one -on -one with a leader in the church who will pour into you, who will teach you all that they know and really encourage you in your walk with the Lord. And once you graduate the 101, you'll get into the 201 class. Disciples and make disciples so we can train you to be a leader in the church. Should be a leader. God has called us to lead, especially in this time that we're in. So we want to one day ordain you to be a deacon or an elder in the church so that people could follow you and you could keep winning souls. And our goal is to send you out. Somebody say send. 
We want to send you out to do evangelism. Every Saturday we meet here at the church from 5 and go till 8. If you've never gone street witnessing, it will change your life. Do it if you've never done it. I shared with the first service a lot of excuses that we have is I don't know how to do it. Well, if you don't do something, then you'll never learn because practice makes perfect, right? Look to your neighbors, say practice makes perfect. So all you got to do is do it. So don't be afraid. All that fear, you can give it to the Lord and watch how he uses you to preach the gospel, to transform lives. And even the ones that reject Jesus when you're preaching to them and they have all these excuses and all these other beliefs, it will break your heart for the loss. And we always have to be broken in our heart for the loss in our city. So I really want to encourage you guys, if you have been going, keep doing it. If you've never done it, visit them and make it a part of your life that you will be a street preacher. Amen. So in a recap, MPI is a vision, a strategy, and a goal, a vision of loving God and loving people, strategy to connect, mentor, and send, and a goal of 100,000 disciples in Chicago with 50 churches here and 500 around the world. Say, I'm in that number. Hallelujah. Come on. Are you guys ready to give your tithes and offerings today? This is an extension of our worship. We're so thankful for an awesome, loving, giving, generous church. You guys are amazing. We can do so much for God together. We're just going to believe for the increase that we're going to continue to reach Chicago and the nations. So as they flip the screen here, we're going to learn about tithes and offerings. Tithe is 10% of your total income given regularly to the church. Let's be faithful in that. If you've tried it once, you haven't tried it enough, do it every week. Do it every time you get an income. Be faithful with your tithe. That belongs to the Lord. And anything above your tithe is considered an offering. That amount is between you and God. There's no compulsion or pressure to give. You give out of a heart of generosity. And we designate that towards missions. We give towards various mission projects throughout the year. And our current building fund is a soul-winning summer. So we're so excited about the two back-to-school outreaches that we're going to be having next month. And God is just on the move. And so it's just an awesome thing to be a part of a church that is giving and believes so much in the tithe because it's a command from the Lord. So let's get into our giving lesson today in the Disciples Giving book. We're on section three. It's all about stewardship and lesson three today. Stewards work hard at whatever they do. Say whatever. Stewardship is the wise management of everything God has entrusted us with. How many of you guys are stewards in this place? You guys wise managers of things that God has given to you? Come on. We're going to be reading from Colossians chapter 3, verses 23 and 24. Colossians 3, 23 through 24. Whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord, not for human masters. Since you know that you will receive an inheritance from the Lord as a reward. It is the Lord Christ you are serving. So who are we serving? The Lord. It is Jesus. It is not man. And so all that we do, whatever we do, needs to be done as unto him. So let's read the three main points. Number one, whatever you do. Stewards of Christ are not just hard workers in spiritual things, but in whatever they do. We should work overtime with our families, jobs, community, friends, and church. People around us should say we are the hardest working and most passionate people they know. Is that what's being said about you? Because if it's not, it should be. Christians should be the most giving, the most dedicated, the most passionate. And people should see that in our lives because whatever we do, we do it to bring him glory. Number two, working hard for the Lord. In everything we do, we should ask the question, is God pleased with my work? Ultimately, God is our judge and he rewards us when we do things with all of our hearts. So no shortcuts 
or compromises. Just like you can't take shortcuts on your job and get a, a raise, you can't compromise on your job and not expect to get fired, we can't take shortcuts and compromise with what we do for the Lord because he will not prosper us that way. We will not receive his favor. So let's work hard in whatever we do to bring him glory. And in number three, receiving an inheritance. Your job might be able to help you with your retirement savings account when you work hard. But only God can give you an everlasting inheritance in his eternal kingdom. So don't just focus on today's benefits of hard work, but on God's rewards. And just get an understanding that all that we do on this earth is really storing up for ourselves treasures there. And that's where our ultimate reward is. And that's why we need to prove ourselves to be wise managers, faithful stewards of everything God has entrusted to our care. So in summary, serve Christ by working hard with all your heart in all you do. Let's apply this in three ways. Number one, be faithful in giving your tithes, which is 10% of your total income, and offerings, anything you give after your tithes. Number two, work hard and be passionate about the things you do in life. And three, if you should stumble, be quick to repent and return to the work ethic of heaven. Let's say that together, work ethic of heaven. Work ethic of heaven. That is so powerful. I love that. Let's confess this together on the count of three. One, two, three. God has called us to be managers that are committed to stewarding whatever gifts we have received from him. We are to be wise, fruitful, faithful, trustworthy, multiplying, and shrewd stewards, living debt-free and generous lives, providing an inheritance for our children and grandchildren. Let's stand up to our feet today, and let's prepare to give the Lord our best. Tithe is 10% of our total income. We designate offerings towards missions and building. You could be specific there on the envelope and put the exact amount that you want to go towards each spot. Here are four ways that you could give here at MPI. Number one, in the bucket during the offering. Number two, in the wall-mounted drop boxes. Number three, in the back with a credit or debit card. You can see Pastor Jerry for that. And number four, you could go online and use Chase Quick Pay, PayPal, or Bill Pay at mpichurch.org forward slash giving. Pretty awesome, right? Let's recite this verse together. Philippians 4:19, And my God will meet all your needs according to his glorious riches in Christ Jesus. Let's pray. God, we thank you so much for your blessing. We thank you, God, that you have called us to be wise managers, stewards of everything that you've entrusted to us. And I pray that in whatever we do, God, that we would be faithful, that we would be passionate, that we would do it in excellence, that we would do it, God, to glorify your name. So I pray that you bless the gift and the giver today. I pray that you bless and multiply it and prosper us as a church to win this city and preach the gospel to the ends of the earth so that all may hear. I pray that you take care of our families, that you would meet our needs according to your glorious riches and open up the floodgates of heaven and pour a blessing that we would not have room enough to receive it, God, and we would in turn give you glory in Jesus' name. And everybody said amen. Please come forward as you give, and we thank you so much for your generosity.
All right, how many excited? Can I get a woo woo? Amen. Are you glad to be in church today? Awesome. Pull out your phone for me. Let's do something online. We did this last week, and I want to do it again. So if you have your phones, go to Facebook. Good to have everybody here today. I want you to help promote our new live webcast. So go to Facebook for me, please. Look us up online. Put in Metro Praise International. If we're not friends, I want to be everybody's friends. Look us up. We had uh, almost 3,000 people reached and about 600 views already on our first service. Last week, within uh, 24 hours, we had 1,000 views and about 10,000 people reached from our first service. And second service had about 3,000 people reached and about 600 views. So we are doing great things online. And everybody say free. Free, absolutely free. I used to pay for a web hosting site that worked through my website, and it cost me money. Facebook Live is free, and so you can go online and check it out when you're done. But let's do this right now, not to watch it, but actually to share it. So go to the page and share the second service, the second live service right now. It should be the first thing that comes up, and just share it. Just be like, you need this, or everybody check this out, or my pastor about ready to preach, you know. Put something on there and help spread the word because I'm telling you, this is a great way to reach people. And now if you're never here on a Sunday, you know, just go to our Facebook page and you will see us up live. We had some people that were sick today. We were able to pray for them. So I'm so thankful to see you guys doing this for me right now because how many believe we need to reach our friends with the gospel? Amen. I believe that we need to do that. Let me just make sure all of you guys did do that because it's going to say who did it and who didn't. No, I'm kidding, half kid. Okay, a bunch of people, seven shares. All right, open up your Bibles with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 9. If this is your first time here, we're so glad you're here. And uh, we are doing spiritual disciplines. It is a sermon series during the summer. may not sound like the funnest sermon series you want in the summer. Maybe you want a sermon series in the summer like spiritual refreshment, you know, or spiritual vacations, you know. But we're going hard in the summer. We're going for spiritual disciplines. Everybody go, ooh. And uh, the reason why I like spiritual disciplines is because I like getting in shape. How many have been going outside, getting in shape, doing some outdoor activities? Uh, I have a kayak. One of the best things I ever got, I'll tell you what, man, love kayaking on the Fox River. So much fun. And uh, I took my friends out there last weekend, and they got to kayak a little bit. And then we ran out of space. So many people were there. They brought two. I had two kids. They can only fit about four on that kayak. So what did I have to do? I swam next to the kayak. So that would have been a sight to see, literally, if you would have been watching us that day. What's Pastor Joe doing? He's going to swim. So literally, I was getting my exercise swimming while they were next to me kayaking. Now, the good part is I didn't have to swim very long. They ended up dropping off my girls, and we went fishing alongside the river. But I hope you're making the best out of this opportunity that we have in the summer because it's going to get cold. How many know that cold is coming? And it's going to get scary cold. It's going to be like, don't leave your house cold. So you know what? Let's take advantage of these beautiful days. And when I think about spiritual disciplines, I can understand like spiritual disciplines in the same way I understand physical exercise. It's not always easy, but it's worth it in the long run. And going back to that kayaking example, you know, my kids, they like me to take them on long journeys because they want to see how they can look at everything they've never seen before and look at new spots on the river. And I always remind them, hey, girls, hey, hey, hold on, you got to remember this. 
the distance that we go this way, we got to go back this way. And what's hard about that is it's always easier going downstream. How many of you have been on a river before or can imagine this? Downstream, it's just, you know, one little push and you go a long way, one little push. Well, you're having fun not paying attention to the distance you've gone, and now you've got to turn around. Going against the stream is really hard, but you know what? It's worth it. And sometimes my girls, uh, one of them will sit on the, the front of the kayak and they'll be looking at me. It's kind of like we're French voyageurs, like uh, Jacques Cousteau. Not Jacques Cousteau, but uh, who, what's his name? Something in Clark. And they went up and down the French. Uh, they were French explorers and went into rivers, Mississippi. Lewis and Clark. There we go. I feel like we're Lewis and Clark sometimes with our little hats. And my daughters will look at my face, and there will usually be like some point where like I'm sweating really profusely. I'm starting to grunt. It's not as fun as it used to be. And they'll look at me and be like, Daddy, are you tired? And I'm like, yeah, Daddy, Daddy's tired. But you know what? If I don't stop, they don't get home. So I'm motivated. Now let me ask you a question. When you're doing spiritual disciplines, is it hard sometimes? Do you ever feel like sometimes it is a little bit of work, maybe praying, reading your Bible, being accountable, doing things for the Lord like sharing your faith? Well, I want to tell you that that's when you don't quit. That's when you keep pushing forward. That's when you really develop your spiritual muscles. And I want you today to learn how to develop the spiritual muscles of discipleship and Christ-likeness. So if you're in uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 9, somebody say I'm there. Amen. Let me get back over here so I can get there. You know, second service, we always just have so much fun together, don't we? I don't know where my mouse is. I don't know. It's just like, there it is. Okay, 1 Corinthians chapter 9. Let's go to the verse. And then we got a great video to play today. Verse 24, Paul speaking. Do you not know that in a race all the runners, what? Run, but only one gets the prize. How many are ready for the Olympics? Anybody want to see that? I know I do. I want to watch those runners run. Now, if they run in that race, you think they start off the race going, I don't really care if I win. I'm a loser. I just came out here to look good for my girlfriend. Is that what they're going to say? No, when those runners get up there, they are going to run in such a way as to get the what? Prize. Now, what's the application that Paul makes? You run in such a way as to get the prize. Is he talking about a literal race, like literally you start running like an Olympian? Or is he talking about spiritually? Spiritually, right? And I could say, like, from the kayak, start rowing like you want to win the prize and get your kids home today so mama don't get mad, right? I want to row to get home. You want to run? You better run to win. Life is not fair. Things will happen that you don't like, but you need to run your race to win. And are you racing against other people? So if you trip me, you'll be in a better spot. Oh, I tripped Joe. Now I took his spot. No, you're racing against yourself. You're racing against the flesh and the devil who takes the opportunity to tempt you through the flesh. Remember this, Adam and Eve in the garden per created perfect. When the temptation came from the devil, he could not make them do it. He could not make them quit their race of being in the perfect garden, perfect relationship with God, in that perfect habitation. All he could do was tempt their what? What could he tempt? Their flesh. You see the fruit, look how good it is. Here's the result. You'll become like God. Ooh, pride. John says these are the things of life in 1 John. Do not love the world, for the things in the world are the lust of the flesh, what your flesh wants, the lust of the eyes, what your little greedy little eyes want, and the lust, or rather the pride of life, what I want to do with my life. 
You know, you hear people talk like that all the time. I don't need to go to that church. I don't need to do that. Why? Well, because my life. Do what I want. When I get up there and meet the big man, he'll understand. I was a good person. That's the pride of life. All of that is directed towards the flesh. When Adam and Eve were tempted, all the devil could do is tempt the flesh. Who are you running against? Your flesh. When you're losing weight, what are you fighting against? When you're deciding to stay married, when you and your wife are in an argument, what are you fighting against? Young people, when you don't feel like obeying your parents, what are you fighting against? Now, some of you may say, well, doesn't the Bible say we don't wrestle against flesh and blood, but against powers and principalities in high places? Absolutely. When we see people and they're coming against us, we know that their flesh is not what we should be attacking to try to get that to stop. We should be attacking the devil they have come in agreement with with their flesh. Because if the fruit is bad, that means the root is bad. And so it's the same way. Yes, we can become like children of the devil manifesting fruits of wickedness, but it doesn't start with the devil making us do it and him pumping us full of evil. It starts with our flesh making that decision. So when I see my uh, brother or sister living in sin, or somebody, and I mean my literal brother or sister, like because both of them are not living for Jesus now, and I'm praying for them, I'm not just praying for their flesh because their flesh can't save them. I'm praying that the devil's lies will stop and that they will choose the right decisions. Everybody get that? So when you're running your race, you're running against yourself. So run in such a way as to get the prize. And look at verse 25. Everyone who competes in the games goes into what? Goes to Dairy Queen and gets a blizzard? Goes uh, to the beach and just hangs out? Gets a suntan? Those who compete in the games, like the Olympic games we have coming up, are very similar to the Olympic games of the past. They would go into what? Strict training. That's where we get the idea of disciplines. The idea of being trained is the idea of being disciplined. When we're talking about spiritual disciplines, disciplines, we're not talking about God spanking us. You're going to get a spiritual discipline. We're not talking about that, okay? We're not talking like pastor's going to sit you over, you know, put you over his knee. I'm going to spiritually thank you. No, we're not going to do that. How many are glad I don't spank you? Aren't you happy? Do you know that some cults did that? Do you know that Jim Jones actually spanked his people? Yeah, that's a cult. We don't do that kind of behavior. When we're talking about strict training, strict discipline, we're not talking about being disciplined by somebody else. We're talking about training ourselves to do the right thing. It's like lifting weights. Another word of training or discipline is exercise. You're exercising your body or your spirit for its benefits. And so Paul's making that uh, that application here from the physical training to the spiritual training. Keep going. They do it to get a crown that will not last, but we do it to get a crown that will last forever. Now think about this. This is not just Olympians getting a crown that doesn't last. So it's like, ha-ha, you see, you thought you guys were awesome. You see, your crown doesn't last. No, it's for us too. It's for us. I'm getting my doctorate right now. That won't last. Won't last. House I live in, love it, but it won't last. Car I drove here today, great car. Not so great in the the summer because I got leather interior sitting in there as I get sizzled. Anybody got leather and tear? You know what I'm talking about. You know what I'm talking about. But you know what? Doesn't last. How about this? Family. My mom, my dad, my, my wife, my kids. How many would just say family's so important? Doesn't last. Doesn't last. 
The crown that we get from God lasts longer than our family, lasts longer than our marriages, lasts longer than our jobs and our educations and all the little things we have in this world. Yes, a lot of those things are important. We should do them the right way. But let us remember this race, this race right here that Paul's talking about, is more important than my marriage. How I am spiritually with God is more important than how I am as a husband. But here's the good news. When I have it right with God, I'll be the best husband my wife will ever need. Being a true son or daughter of God is more important than being a parent. But as you are a true son or daughter of God, you'll be the best parent this world has ever seen. So Paul says, they do it to get a crown that will not last. We do it to get a crown that will last forever. Verse 26, therefore, here's the application. I, he makes it personal. Somebody say, I. Come on, put it to me, myself, and I. I do not run like someone running aimlessly, and I do not fight like a boxer beating the air. No, I strike a blow to my neighbor's body. I don't like you. What do bad attitudes come from, your body or somebody else's body? See, it starts with you, doesn't it? Jesus could love and forgive his enemies because he didn't let what they did come in here. We always want to tell these people to shut up. You shut up. I don't like what you have to say. But Jesus is teaching us through the Apostle Paul that we need to beat our bodies into submission. We need to get our stinking thinking lined up with the mind of Christ. So we beat our body and strike a blow to it, and we make it our slave so that after I preach to others, I myself may not be disqualified for the prize. Now, this is my sixth time sharing with you that scripture. Have you learned something from it? I really try to make it new every single time so that you will be encouraged by this. In summary, Paul is teaching us that spiritual training is of great benefit to your soul and your spiritual life. And the things that you achieve as you're working out your salvation will last for eternity. And so if you care about something that's important in your life, you're going to give time and attention to it. So give time and attention to your spiritual life. Now, are we saved by good works? Like how good I do this determines how saved I am? Is being saved like joining a gym? Like you come, like say for me, when I was like 60 pounds overweight and I joined a gym, is that how I come to Jesus? And Jesus goes, okay, you've got the gym membership, but you better start working off that weight, son. You've got salvation, but you better start working off spiritual sins. No, here's the good news about salvation. When Jesus was on the cross, he told it to us all right there. One of his last words was what? It is finished. At salvation, you start at the finish line. Done. Because of what he did for me. I am not saved by good works, lest I should boast. Ephesians says, I am saved by the grace of God through faith. And that salvation is a creation of a new person. I've made God's workmanship so that I can do good works. So how does salvation work? Salvation is God saving sinners and making them saints. And now saints can do what God wants them to do. So you can't start off this journey going, I'm a sinner, but God loves me, and I'm going to keep working at it to be a saint. No, the only way you can go from being a sinner to a saint is not over a 90-day health program or spiritual diet. The only way you can do it is by the grace of the Lord Jesus. Now, not to embarrass those who are not, but I want to know how many here today are saved by the grace of God. Come on. How many of you are no longer sinners but you're saints? Now, spiritual disciplines are for you to keep that which is entrusted to you by God. So that what God has given to you, this pure, awesome salvation, holy and blameless, you might keep it and grow up in it. When my son was born into my family, he didn't do anything to do that. Do you think Lucas made himself through Nancy and I? 
No, he didn't. We did that one lonely old rainy night listening to I can be your hero, baby. That's one of my favorite loves, love songs, by the way. And I can take away the pain, you know, oh, yeah. You know, so nine months later, here comes Lucas. Did Lucas, my son, make himself that day in our bedroom? Did he make himself in the womb of my, my wife? When it came to pushing, was he in there going, hey, I'll help you, Mom? You know, did he do that? He didn't do any of that. When we come into the kingdom of God, John 1 says, let me just show that beautiful verse to you. Everybody turn with me to John chapter 1 so you can see it. You might be saying, man, Pastor, why did it get so weird? Well, this is actually the language of the Bible, actually the language of the Bible, and I'll show it to you if you don't believe me. Look at John chapter 1, talking about being saved by grace through faith, not of ourselves. Look at this. Yet to all who did receive him, John 1, 12, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become what? Children of God. Thank you. How many children of God I got in the house? Amen. Thank you. Now watch this. Children born not of natural descent, nor of human decision, or a what? That's what it's talking about. It wasn't a husband's will that brought you into this, but born of born of God. Do you want to see this in the message? Maybe a little bit more modern day English. Go to that same passage right here. Go to this same passage. But whoever did want him, who believed he was who he claimed and would do what he said, he made them to be their true selves, their child of God's selves. They are the God begotten, not blood begotten, not flesh begotten, not sex begotten. See, I go to college to learn little tricks like that. See, you thought I was making it up, but that's what it's talking about. And so when we come into the kingdom of God, it is simply us saying, yes, Lord. Our yes brings us into his divine promise of heaven, eternity, a new nature placed on the inside of us, our literal God selves, our new creation made in the image of God. Not that I am a little case G and he's a big case G, but no, the Bible says I become godly. I become like my parent, Father God. I become like him in holiness and nature. Not that I share in his all-powerful nature, but I share in his character nature. See, that's why if you never understood this passage, look at Matthew chapter 5, verse 48, when it talks about perfection. I don't become God in his divine uh, power, his all-knowing, his uh, omnipresence, but I become like him in his character, in his moral attributes. Look at this word, be messed up, therefore, just as your heavenly father's messed up. Is that what it says? Because nobody's perfect. Nobody's perfect. Pastor, I just feel so bad. I come to church and you just tell me to do stuff and I can't do it because nobody's perfect. Hold on. We're born as sinners, right? When we're born again, are we born again as saints or sinners? Are we born again as centaurs? Does anybody here know what a centaur is? I digress a little bit, but let me show you what a centaur is. I showed this from the first service. When you're born again, are you born again half sinner, half saint? Half man, half beast. I still got a lot of sin in me after Jesus saved me. He didn't clean me good enough. I'm going through the second, third wash cycle of Jesus' heavenly washing machine. Is that what happens? No, God forbid. No, when we are saved, we're truly saved. When God makes us new, we're really made new. That's why he said in Matthew, as I just lost that spot, look at this, Matthew chapter 5, verse 48, he teaches us, be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. 
you begin to understand that what God is in his character, we become at the cross. It is finished because of what he did. Can I get an amen? Say, I ain't no centaur. And if you're sophisticated, say, excuse me, sir, I'm not a centaur. However you want to say, don't believe that you're a centaur. You're not half man, half beast. You are a child of God. You are born again, not of your will. I'm going to do this and make myself different. You are born again because of what Jesus did for you. I want to show you another scripture that I had mentioned in Ephesians, but I want you to see what a lot of us miss in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not, what? From yourselves. Can you take credit for this? Now guess what? If you're not working it right, you'll start to mess it up. And what's the biggest way we mess up salvation? It's saying, God, I'll take it from here. The works of our flesh bring death, but following the Spirit brings life. If you say to God, God, I got the marriage from this point on. I've done marriage counseling. I've listened to a couple preachers talk on it. We don't need to pray anymore. We don't need devotions anymore. You won't have a blessed marriage. You know why? Because a blessed marriage doesn't come from yourself. Some of you say, you know what, I know how to work. I'm pretty smart. I'll put my hands to the plow. I'll make this job happen. I don't need God. I heard people tell me that. Why pray about something when I can just work about something? They'll say, you do prayer, I'll do work, right? And I always like to say to them, why not do both? Why not pray and work? Because there are things that God has that you do not have of yourself. There are customers that God can bring you that you can't bring yourself. There is inventive ideas that God has to give you that you cannot bring yourself. Salvation, the greatest thing you'll ever have, comes from God, not of yourself. It is the what? The gift of God that I, that I just said before, not by works so no one can boast. But now look at this great passage right here. For we are God's what? Come on, somebody say handiwork. I want you to see that in another translation as well, this a more modern translation, the message. Look at the word handiwork as We get this idea of what God is. Ephesians chapter 2 verse 10 says, No, we neither make nor save ourselves. We don't make ourselves nor save ourselves. God does both the making and the saving. Watch this. He creates each of us by Christ Jesus to join him in the work he does, the good work he already got ready for us to do, work we had better be doing. So does he send us to do these good works by ourselves? Does he? Does he say to you, okay, now you're saved, you're a new creation, just go about your way? No, he says, include me in your work just like you included me in your salvation. For we are God's handiwork created in Christ Jesus to do good works which God prepared in advance for you to do. Now let's watch this great video because I had a lot of things to say about discipleship. Then I said, wow, there must be a video like this. So I went looking for a video, then I found one. I'm like, oh my goodness, this will save me like a 20-minute introduction because you know my intros are long, right? And what's really cool about this is it comes from another church. As we get the lights ready, guys, please. Uh, And then we're going to put up the volume too. It comes from another church, and I want you to see if there's similar ideas that this video has with us. Hear the main points and see if it agrees with us, okay? Now, we're new in the back right here, so it's going to be that channel. I believe it's going to be 18 or 19. Do you know how to do that, Joe B? I believe it's going to be 18 or 19. Do you know how to do that, Joe B? we're getting feedback from there. Let me go back and help him. Can I go back and help him? Would you guys talk amongst yourselves? Can I go back and help him? Would you guys talk amongst yourselves?
When Jesus was walking around backcountry Israel, he was proclaiming one message over and over. God's kingdom is here. Through his own life, death, and resurrection, Jesus was making life in God's kingdom, the same kind of life he was living, available to us. This was the good news, or the gospel, that ordinary people, like us, can begin to live everyday life like Jesus. And this is the best kind of life there is, the good life, as some might call it. It's a life of conversation with God, joy that never stops, forgiveness for anything and everything, peace instead of anxiety, trust instead of fear, hope that will not fail, and love for others that never gives up, just for starters. A life radically different from anything we've ever known. you might have noticed a gap between the everyday life Jesus made possible for us and the everyday life each of us is actually living. Maybe you believe Jesus forgave your sins, but beyond that, it feels like not much has changed, except maybe how you spend one hour on Sunday morning. That's if you can find a place to park. Many of us are simply not living everyday life like Jesus, and we wouldn't know where to start even if we wanted to try. We feel stuck in the same old habits and are beginning to wonder if the life Jesus described and lived is actually possible. But what if it still is? Jesus didn't just proclaim the gospel, drop the mic and walk away, leaving us to figure out how to live this life by ourselves. He invited us to follow him, or in other words, be his disciples, an ancient word that simply means student or learner. Discipleship, then, is the process where ordinary people learn to live everyday life like Jesus. It's an ongoing, lifelong process that bridges the gap between the life each of us is currently living and the life Jesus envisioned for us. And here's what that looks like at Bellevue Christian Church. We gather, we train, and we go. First, we gather. Whether it's with everyone on Sunday mornings, with smaller communities throughout the week, or simply with a Christian friend over coffee, discipleship is a community project, not a solo effort. Second, we train. Through weekly sermon series, seasoned mentors, on-the-ground experience, and regular workshops on topics ranging from theology to finances, we will provide you with the training necessary to live like Jesus lived. And finally, we go. Whether it's within our church, to your neighborhood, or even across cultures, each of us is called to join in God's mission to every neighborhood and nation. And if all of this still feels a little bit confusing and you just don't know where to start, we are also developing discipleship coaches who can help guide you as you learn to live everyday life like Jesus. No matter what you've done or where you've been, you're invited to be a disciple of Jesus because of what he's already done in your place. He's ready to meet you right where you are. And one last thing, discipleship doesn't end with you. Living everyday life like Jesus isn't complete unless you're helping others to learn to live like Jesus as well. At BCC, we want to be a church of disciples, making disciples just like Jesus commanded us when he said, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. And I will be with you always, the very end of the age. Amen. Now, how many of you saw some similarities in there? Right? Now, what kind of similarities did we see? Shout it out. Connect Mentor Sin was similar to their what? Who remembers it? Gather, train, go. Now, think about this. 
at the very end of their video, what they said was that they are now going to be implementing these little trainer people to start helping people out. Where Metro Praise, day one, has started with one-on-one discipleship. It is catching on, but I do want to tell you this, that you are a part of a church that is at the cutting edge of discipleship. The very first day we started Metro Praise International, we started Connect, Mentor, Send, a three-part process, or another way of saying it would be reach one, to teach one, to reach one, or touch heaven, or reach heaven, reach inside, reach your brother and your sister. What we saw was that the greatest need is that people had individualized mentors. So when we talk today about discipleship, I want you to know that you're not just at a church that decided to start doing this because we saw some cute video. You're at a church that has literally written the book on it, by God's grace, written the book on it, and has been doing it successfully for over 10 years. Over 150 disciples registered, and 80% of our church is in discipleship. Most churches will be happy if they have 20% in discipleship, but we have 80%. Now, I say this only to boast in the Lord, but my preaching ability and the ability of our worship team could have grown much greater in number than we are right now. But it's because we have chosen to build our church like Jesus did on disciples. Jesus did not build it on the crowds that he fed. He, he built it on the crowds that came to him after he fed the multitudes and that he could teach. Do you all get that? Amen. Come on, somebody say amen. Think about that. Jesus didn't build his church with the 5,000 after they had the free pizzas and free enlotes or free set or whatever you would like to eat. No, he had his church built on disciples. How many were in the upper room after his whole entire ministry said and done? How many? 120. Wow, sounds like Jesus was a failure, right? You ever go to a U2 concert? U2 has more people than Jesus at that time, right? But no, Jesus understood the principle of multiplication. And you have to have quality before you have quantity. So yes, there are a lot of great churches in this city, and I don't want to speak ill of any of them, but it was our desire when we started not to be a mile wide and an inch deep, but to be a mile deep so we could go a mile wide. When they build skyscrapers in those big buildings downtown, they don't build the foundation on sand. They don't build the foundation just down a few feet like you would if you wanted to build a shed in your backyard. They go down stories into the ground, pouring down concrete. I remember going to um, the Twin Towers down there in New York City, and it had to have been, let me see, that was 2006, and 9-11 was in 01. That was uh, basically five years after 9-11, and they were still just digging down. I mean, they had a lot of mess to clean up, obviously, but they were still just digging down to build that freedom tower. And you know what? That's what lasts. That's what remains. So today, when we're on Lesson 6 talking about discipleship and Christ's likeness as a spiritual discipline, we need to know first and foremost, we're not saved because we do good works. We're saved to do good works. We are saved to be Jesus' disciple and follow his commands. So let's get some scriptures on um, discipleship. And let's get some ideas of what we should do. Discipleship comes from the command of Jesus all throughout the Bible, obviously. Let's get the real clear one here, Matthew 28, 18 through 20. Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make church members of all the nations. Therefore, go and make choir members. Is that what he said? Therefore, go and make attendee, uh, conferency attendees. Go make attendees. Is that what it says? Go make customers, sell, sell things, sell holy water and holy um, rags online. You ever see these guys, these televangelists selling holy water? Just $10.99 plus shipping and handling. You can have this holy water. 
Put it under your bed. Sprinkle it on your head. Is that what he said to go out and make televangelists? Now, I'm glad that we have TV and we can use these resources, but Jesus could have came at any point in history and used any method that he wanted, but he came in a time where he was dependent upon the word of mouth. That's the time he came on, and he used that method for us. And look what he says. Therefore, go and make what? Disciples. Do disciples make themselves or are they made? Can you make yourself? You can't. You need somebody else to do it. These disciples are commanded to go make other disciples. I can't make you saved. Can't do that, but I can make you a disciple. Y'all need to get that in your heart, right? Because when we're coming to church, some people get sassy and say, I don't need that to go to heaven. Yeah, you're right. You don't need church to go to heaven. But if you want to bring heaven on earth, you need church. If you want to see his will done, his kingdom come, you need church. Jesus said, I will build my church on this, a disciple, and the gates of hell will not prevail. Do you know that Peter, who was then called Petros, the rock, then said that we were little rocks in his epistle and that we together formed the house of God? Did you know that? We are living stones built upon the cornerstone of Jesus Christ. And Jesus said, therefore, go and make what? Disciples. Go and make what? Disciples of how many of the nations? Just the ones that look like you? Just the ones that sound like you? Well, you know what? I don't want to go to Africa because they don't look like me and talk like me. Oh, you know what? I don't want to go to Southeast Asia. They, they don't look like me. They don't talk like me. You know that I have friends all in my neighborhood from different parts of the world. I have people from India right in my backyard. I have people from Kazakhstan. And, uh, you know, not in my backyard, but I mean I can see them from my backyard. And you know what's beautiful is when it gets warm like this, everybody starts cooking food. My, my neighbors, my Muslim neighbors from Kazakhstan, that is an Eastern European Muslim nation right there by Russia and all of that. They have this weird-looking barrel grill thing. It smells marvelous. It's wonderful. Then my friends from India, it, it looks like they lay out a tarp of some kind, and they make their, um, what is this, the bread? Um, naan, yes, they make, which is like a pita bite. They make their naan and set it out and sun-dry it. Sounds like a neat neighborhood, right? I have a cricket field in my park, of my backyard. My backyard faces a park, and yesterday I was making a video, and I was talking, and I was like, oh, blah, blah. And I tripped, and guess what I tripped on? The cricket field, the cricket part where they set up that, that's one long line. Uh, you know, it's about five feet wide, about 20 feet long, just long line. They have little lines in there, and it sticks out above, above the ground a little bit. Have you ever played cricket before? Most of us haven't, hello, but a whole part of the world does. So did Jesus say, go and make disciples of those who just love the cubs and the socks? Go and make disciples of those who just smell like you? Hello, those who look like you? No, he said, go make disciples of all the nations. I double-dog dare you to start getting out of your culture and cross-culturally communicate the cross. Cross-culture with the cross. Isn't that a beautiful thing? Go and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, Holy Spirit. Baptism in the name of our triune God is the initiation we have into the church. And teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you, and surely I'm with you always to the very end of the age. Did, did Jesus say, just teach them the easy stuff? Did Jesus say, listen, I know I told you disciples a lot of crazy stuff about hell and the worm dying not and the gnashing of teeth and judgment coming, me being on a white horse. I know I've told you all that. Don't tell them that because that will scare them. If you want them to come back, keep telling them about all the blessings I, I told them. Tell them that if they give, it will be given back to them, pressed down, shaken together, and running over. Tell them, tell them that whoever leaves house and land, houses and land for me will receive a hundredfold. Is that what he said? 
Just tell them the prosperity of the gospel. Just tell them the blessing of the gospel. No, he said, go and tell them everything. Tell them some of them will be persecuted. They'll lose their lives for my sake. Tell them that some of them will be kicked out of their homelands, out of their country. They'll have to live in caves. Uh, tell others that serving me may come with hardship, difficulty. And then also say that there's blessings in the kingdom, that there's rewards. See, I want the grace and I want the truth. I want both in the kingdom of God. I want the outpouring. Another word for grace, charis, is the gifts of God. I want the gifts of God, the grace of God. But I also want the truth. I want to know the truth, Jesus. If they hated you, will they also hate me? Jesus, if they persecuted you, will they persecute me? Jesus, if you had to forgive your enemies, am I going to have to forgive some enemies here? Yes, you will, Joe. So teach them to obey everything I've commanded you. And look at the promise here at the end. Surely I am with you. How often? Always. Who is he with always? Who? Who is the us? Who is he with always? Disciples. We know God is ever-present, omnipresent, because he is God. He cannot not be somewhere on this earth. But where is he manifesting his imminent loving presence, his presence that's closer than the air we can breathe? Where is he showing that kind of response? Is it to the bar today, to random people? No, it's to those who are seeking him. Now, he loves the people in the bar, and he may show them something special. But I'll tell you what, where he dwells, where he is present is with his people. Two or more gathered in his name, there he is. I will never leave you. I'll never forsake you, he said in another passage. And I'm with you to the end of the age. Could you even imagine being those disciples 2,000 years ago if we would have given them just a little quick video, a 30-second video of what we're going through right now? They would say, oh, dear Jesus, you need to be with them. Like, imagine if I showed Peter a video of right now of our top headlines. Criminals killing police officers in San Diego. Criminals killing police officers in Dallas. Criminals uh, killing each other in the streets of Chicago, upward to the tune of 500. Drugs, homosexuality, gender confusion, false religion, running rampant, people calling themselves Jesus. What do you think those disciples would do if they saw a 30-second snippet of that? They would go, oh, Jesus, will you be with them? Because they're going to need you. But look at us in our culture. Do you, think we need how, do you think we know how much we need him? Or do you think some of us are blind to it? I don't need God. I've got science. I've got, I've got my HBO shows. I've got Game of Thrones. I've got a job that gives me a couple dollars to go spend on vacations in nice places. Oh, God, who needs them? Isn't it something how our prosperity and freedom in this land has made us so numb to our spiritual needs? And it's not until we see these riots and all of these issues that start to come up that we, we kind of scratch our head a little bit at these headlines and go, maybe something's wrong here. Maybe something's not lined up. What do you think it is? I think it's because not that God has left America, but America has left God. That's why I think we don't see God in our public schools anymore. They took prayer out in 1960, and what was it replaced with? Metal detectors. We said, oh, we don't need to really pray in our schools and at our graduations. What do we have now? School shootings. There was never those school shootings before. Why wasn't there anybody in the 1950s shooting up people? We had guns. Had guns. Could have gone into a school in the 1950s and shot up everybody you wanted. Never happened. But not only did we just see one, but I'm sad to say, my friends, we've seen so many that we've lost count. 
If I said to you, tell me how many mass shootings you can think of that have happened just in schools alone, how many could you name? Three or four, five or six, the best of us, right? Why? It's because God's left us when we left him. We didn't set out on this path. Many Americans and people said, we're just going to try things a different way. And it was almost like the man who says to his wife, honey, I'm not leaving you. I just want to try it differently with the girlfriend that I have now. Hope that's okay. I don't want a divorce. I just want her on the weekends. And just as that new way didn't work out so much, we said to God, in the sex and drug revolution of the 60s that turned into the 70s and 80s, we, we basically said to God, God, we, we, we don't need your rules here. Not only in our schools, but not in our government. We don't need you to tell us who's a boy and who's a girl. We'll decide that for ourselves. We don't need you to tell us how to have families. We'll do that for ourselves. And God, we don't need you to tell us how to have church anymore either because we're pretty creative. We can sing songs, clap our hands, and say a lot of positive messages and really not offend anybody. We're actually kind of smarter than you. And now we wonder why we're in the mess that we're in. I think it's time we go back to discipleship. I think it's time we go back to living like Jesus, making him our one and only God, not the idols of the land, not the idols of entertainment, not the idols of sexuality, but we put Jesus in his rightful place as our God and Savior. Amen? What is the definition of discipleship? Simply to be taught and trained to live like Jesus. How many would like to learn the 14 duties of a disciple? You guys ready? Now, thankfully, I won't have us look up every scripture here, but I want you to learn a few of the qualities of discipleship. Now, think to yourself as you're turning with me to Matthew chapter 4, verse 18. I want you to think to yourself about if Jesus chose this as our method, to, uh, if Jesus chose this method for himself, how much more should you choose this method? So what I'm saying is this. If Jesus told me as a pastor, this is how I want you to build the church, shouldn't I build the church this way? How many know if I go to this McDonald's franchise, uh, the franchise up here on diversity, they're not going to sell hot dogs? Have you ever bought a hot dog at McDonald's? Why not? It's not in the franchise. You can't do that. You can't own a McDonald's franchise and start changing the menu. You can't. If you want to sell hot dogs, go ahead, go ahead and start a Jimmy John's or whatever, not Jimmy John's, but a Jimmy's or a Johnny's. A lot of these Jimmies and Johnnies, and hey, oh, hot dogs, ah, Polishes, ah, I like them like this, ah, okay, which one's the best? Oh, I like Jimmies, you know, oh, I like dog stuff, I like, you know, so you start a place like that. You want a hot dog, you go there. You want a hammer, you go to McDonald's. Let me ask you a question. How much do we hear about discipleship in the church today? But how much do we hear about everything else? How much do we hear about you giving your tithes and your offerings, you making sure that you have a blessed life, making sure that all your children are blessed? But how often do we really hear a solid message of discipleship, let alone a system, a process, a way of making disciples? If Jesus said, this is what's going to mark my church, is disciples making disciples around the world and the nation, shouldn't we have that here today? In other words, should we change the recipe? Should we change the menu? No, we should be serving up here today what Jesus served up 2,000 years ago. Let's look at Jesus in his own context. As Jesus was walking beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon called Peter and his brother Andrew. They were casting a net into the lake, for they were fishermen. Were they seminary students? Did they, did they go to Bible college? He picked ordinary fishermen. Have you ever been around fishermen? I love fishermen. I love to fish. Two things about fishermen. Most of the time they stink like fish, and they cuss a lot. I'm just being honest with you. If you think you can show me a clean, non-cussing fisherman, that's awesome. But I lived in New Orleans for about eight years, fished the entire Gulf Coast. From New Orleans being the center, went all the way down to Galveston, that way towards Texas. Then I went all the way towards uh, the other way, Mississippi. Fished all throughout Mississippi, Pasagula. 
fished in in Alabama, Gulf Shores, Alabama, and all of those wonderful beaches around there, all throughout Florida, and kind of the armpit there of the, the Gulf Shores, Pensacola, Panama City. Fished all the way down to Miami, fished in Miami Beach. Now I can add, uh, I fished at Key West because I took a Key West vacation. Guess what two things I noticed about fishermen? They stink and they cuss a lot. Why? Because you're holding fish all the time. And most people out fishing aren't fishing with their wives, and so they like to talk dirty. I don't know how these men were back then, but I'm pretty sure fishing hasn't changed a whole lot. If you come fishing with me right now, guess what I have? A cast net and something else called a pole. Do you think they had something similar to that? Yeah, they had cast net and something probably like a pole. I've been to India and third world country, same thing. Cast nets and poles. And so we see that he didn't go to the college. He didn't go to the university. He didn't go to Athens and look for the philosophers. He picks out two ordinary men. Now listen to what Jesus says to him. He says, come and follow me, and I will make you or teach you how to or send you out to fish for people. Right here, does Jesus give them the promise that if you come follow me, I'll make you rich? Does he say, come follow me, and you'll have an easy life? The very first words out of Jesus' mouth were twofold. Number one, a call to follow him. Number two, a sending out to go change the world. What happened in between? Discipleship. Come, send. What's in the middle? Mentor. Hello? Connect. Send. What's in the middle? Mentor. Discipleship. Come follow me, and I will send you out to fish for people. So they went, thought about it for a long time, talked to their wives, looked at they had enough money in the savings account, then made a 10-year plan and decided to serve Jesus after that. Is that what it says? No, and at once they left their nets and followed him. Literally when Jesus walked the earth, that's where the kingdom of God was. So there's no option there. There is no way of going, God, I'll think about this. No, you either go with him or you don't. There's no way now to be like, I'm cool with Jesus, but I don't follow Jesus. You know, people try that now, like, I'm cool with Jesus, but I don't go to church. There was no way to play that off then. Like, the Son of God is like, I'm here. Yeah, you like me? Come follow me. And guess what? We're not going to make a lot of money, and this is not about you and all your little wishes that you want and dreams of life. We're going to start off doing the most important stuff. You're going to help fish your people. You're going to do that with me day in and day out. That's how we're starting this journey. Now, praise God, there are blessings, aren't there? Praise God that we do get houses and land and the blessings of Abraham. But if you notice Jesus, the call of discipleship, it came with a cost, didn't it? It came with a cost. Let's keep going. Let's look here. Number two, we see that we have to deny ourselves. Number one, we come and follow Jesus. Number two, we deny ourselves. Let me just switch these around for us here, please, so I can get the scriptures where I need them. Matthew chapter 16. Matthew chapter 16. Verse 24, Jesus is talking to his disciples once again, and see what he says, and see if this is what you hear from most churches today. Now, no offense to a lot of good churches, but just tell me if this is what you hear. Then Jesus said to his disciples, whoever wants to be my disciple has to first join the membership class, become a tither, and then come to church on Sundays. Is that what it says? No. Whoever wants to be my disciple must first what? Deny themselves. Anything you say other than yes, Lord, to deny discipleship shows you haven't denied yourself. Pastor, you just don't understand. I got so much to do with my kids. I got so much going on in my life right now. Just can't do that. I can do church. I'll be there once a week. Can't do discipleship. What does Jesus say to that person? Deny yourself. You're making too much of yourself. You really are. And then some people will come back and complain. Well, Jesus, don't you care about my job? Gosh darn it, Jesus. I got to have a life too. 
That's what people do back to Jesus. You say, this thing Jesus doesn't understand. Jesus doesn't understand jobs. Jesus doesn't understand hard work. I fortunately, and I don't mean that in a bad way, but fortunately was not born in a pastor's home. I was born in a very successful businessman's home who loved Jesus, who did everything he could for God. You know what he taught me? Son, when I put God's business first, he puts my business first. When I take care of God's house, God takes care of my house. My father would sit down with people worth over millions. He was a financial planner, stockbroker, et cetera. And he would sit down and tell them, I have, this was his key line, and I love it. This is what he would say to him, Bob, we have fully planned out your financial success for the future, your retirement, your CDs, your stocks, your bonds. But we haven't planned out your spiritual future. Would you like to hear the message about Jesus? That's what my dad would say. So some of you who can't put your $10 an hour job on the line, my dad looking across millionaires had no problem putting it on the line. If they said back to him, Jim, sorry, just want you to take care of my money, my dad would say, no problem, no problem, let's go on, to, let's keep going. But if they said, what do you mean, Jim? Open door. Well, and he would tell his testimony. Well, you know, I used to be a businessman. I didn't know the Lord. Born and raised Catholic. Knew about God but didn't know God. Over time, I began to sense a longing in my heart. No matter how much success I had, never filled that void. Got married, got divorced, didn't fill my void. But one day, a woman I was dating, happened to be my mom, took him to church, took me to church, and I began to hear about a Jesus I never really met before. This Jesus wanted to talk with me, walk with me. And so I asked that Jesus into my heart to forgive me of my sins, and he's been my business partner ever since. He's helped me become the man that I am. He's changed me. And maybe my dad would turn around a little, just a little six-by-eight placard that he had on his desk of a man sailing a ship through a storm with Jesus on his shoulders. My dad gave that to me after he retired, and he might have just turned it around and showed the guy, and this is kind of how I'm doing life right now. God in me and with me. Boy, that wouldn't be that hard, would it, if we would all just take the chance to start doing what Jesus told us to do. But you see, a lot of us don't want to deny ourselves. We don't think it's our responsibility to preach. That's the pastor's job. We don't think it's our responsibility to train ourselves to be approved. As long as I've been trained in life and I take care of my kids and family, I'm a good dad, I'm a good mom, I'm a good worker. But we're not understanding the first part about being a disciple is you must deny yourself and admit this life is not about me. It's about him. No ifs, ands, or buts. Number two, I'm going to take up my cotton candy machine and follow Jesus. Is that what it says? Does it say take up your cotton candy machine? Take up your slot machine and get ready to hit the lottery, hit the winning numbers. Is that what it says? Take up your what? Cross. What did Jesus do on a cross? Die. What are you supposed to do on a cross? Die. So when your attitude comes up, you go, I'm going to count that as dead. You ever thought about putting your attitude in check instead of believing it all the time? I know it's real easy for us to believe our thinking, but some of our thinking is thinking, thinking, and we need to stop thinking that way. You ever tell your sassy pants to stop being so sassy? You ever tell your doubts, I doubt that? Well, I doubt I should go to church today. Man, maybe I should doubt that and go to church today. Well, I doubt if the, the Lord is real and has a plan for my life. I doubt that doubt because I do think the Lord is real and has a plan for my life. Have you ever quit your quits? I feel like quitting today. You know, I'm going to quit quitting today and actually do what I'm supposed to do today. I'm going to quit coming to church. You know, I'm going to quit talking about quitting coming to church, and I'm going to dedicate my life to this. Like a runner running a race to win. Like an Olympian going into strict training to win a prize. Amen? 
Now watch what Jesus says. For whoever wants to save their life will what? Lose it. Couldn't get any clearer than that. And whoever loses their life for me will find it. Now keep going. I love Jesus because he makes it clear. I know I need a lot of these examples. Like, Jesus, I don't know if I get it yet. Okay, let me keep going on here to explain to you, Joe. What good will it be to gain the whole world yet forfeit their soul? Or what can a man give in exchange for their soul? How many people think there's people in this world that are soul trading for a lot less than the whole world? I meet soul traders who trade their soul just to have illicit sex before their marriage. Oh, yeah, I'll make that trade. Forget about Jesus calling it sexual immorality as long as I can have sex tonight. Yeah, I'll trade my soul for that. I'll disobey God. Yeah, I'll trade my soul for this. And the Bible says you are a fool. If you had the entire world, it still wouldn't be a fair trade to trade your soul. Even if you were the greatest world's dictator with all the sex money and all the power and all the education, Solomon, kind of like him, which he wasn't a dictator, by the way, but a king. You know what I'm saying. Solomon had all those things, and then he wrote Ecclesiastes, and he goes, Oh, man, I'm a fool because the rich man dies just like the poor man. Their bones are eaten by the dogs, and their flesh turns to dust. Fear God and live, not only for this life, but for the life to come. Life is only found in God. Amen. Another one, I don't have time to go through all of them, but I think these are blessing you, encouraging you right now, aren't they? I'm more of a challenge, but I think the courage comes. Don't look back. Go with me to um, Luke chapter 9, verse 57. Luke chapter 9, verse 57. I'm going to close out with some encouragement, but hang in here with me. Don't be hot and bothered, amen. There's fans all around if you need to cool off. Luke chapter 9, verse 57. As they were walking along the road, a man said to Jesus, I'll follow you wherever you go. How many know that's a good thing, right? Jesus replied, foxes have dens and birds have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. Do you think Jesus was just being mean to him or do you think he was telling him the truth? He's telling them the truth. Hey, we're not staying at the Hotel Hilton over here. We're not staying at the Omni downtown. We're staying on the streets. We're staying in fields. That doesn't mean everybody has to be homeless. But for that three years, if you wanted to follow Jesus, you had to live as Jesus was living. Now look at this. Jesus then said to another man, follow me. But the man replied, first let me go and sell some crack cocaine, and then I'll be back and follow you. Is that what he said? First let me go to Lollapalooza, and then I'll come. Is that what he said? See, a lot of us think that if we have valid excuses, God understands. Not bad ones, but valid ones. You don't think valid. So God gives us valid excuse cards, and we keep a couple in our pocket, right? And when God says, you know what? I want you to go to the west side and think about somebody other than yourself for a few hours and help the African-American community. We think God's got a couple cards in here that we can just pull up and go, oh, vacation card. Vacation card, Jesus. Jesus, that was the day I was planning on going to the lake. Of course I know you want me to get rest and have a good time. Won't be there. Thanks, Jesus. And then we think that God gives us a lot of other cards too. You know, hey, I want you to do one-on-one discipleship with somebody at Metro Price. Oh, college card. (laughs) Jesus, I'm in college. Don't you know that 20-somethings with expendable income who live with their parents and aren't married and have kids don't have any time, Jesus? College card, college card. And what I think this illustration is saying to us is Jesus is going, you can pull out the most noble excuse you have in your pocket, in your card deck, and you can say, God, my dad died. And I'm a man in my family, and that means I take the family business over. I provide for my mom, who will not make a living without me. 
because it's a man's world in the ancient times. And God, I'm still coming. I'm just asking, take care of my family, do the funeral, and then I'll come. And all of us are supposed to go, oh, come on, Jesus. Come on, Jesus. I mean, this is not the crack dealer. This is not a bad excuse. Come on, Jesus. What do you mean, Jesus? What do you mean? You lack compassion, Jesus? Because only a mean person would expect this man to not go to that funeral. That's what Jesus says. Jesus said to him, let the dead bury their own dead. But you, go and proclaim the kingdom of God. You go now. Can I tell you why that was the nicest thing Jesus could have ever said to this man? Because Jesus is alpha, omega, beginning and end. He sees the end. He sees the end of everybody's at that funeral. And he's saying, you listen here, Bubba. I know where they go when they die without me. They go to hell. And your family, your tradition, all of these things will count for nothing. You go, you go now, you preach, they will hear about it, and it will do more for them than a thousand funerals, because that's only where dead people are, but the gospel brings life. Jesus can see the end, and he said, this is worth it. This is worth it. It's worth, it's worth you giving up something that you think if you hold on to, it will change your life, and really, funerals never changed anybody. God changes people all the time. He loved this man. He loved him like my sister who died drinking and driving. And my other sister was at the funeral. And where I went on my knees every night praying to God to be healed, my sister went to the bottle and to weed and to drugs. He was saying to my sister, stop hanging around the funeral. And all it does is depress you and bring you death. But come to me. Start preaching. I would have been so happy if my sister would have left that funeral, grabbed her Bible, went down to the west side, and started preaching the gospel because there she would have known the life of God. Now you're saying, Pastor, can we do both? Can we go to funerals and preach? Yes, you can. But if you're asked to choose, Jesus every time. Jesus every time. Still another, as if you hadn't got rocked already. Let me tell you another example, folks. Another man said, watch this. I will follow you, Lord. But first, let me go back and say goodbye to my family. I'm not even asking to stay for a week-long funeral. Long funerals were, were in that culture. Not a day, about a week. So, Jesus, I heard what you just said to that guy. I get it. I'm not staying for seven days. But, Jesus, can I just go back and say goodbye? Because if I don't go and say goodbye, my wife's going to think I ran off on her. My, my kids, everyone look up at me. Father of four talking here. I want to say goodbye to my wife, Jesus, and I want to kiss my kids goodbye before I start traveling to who knows where with you for the next couple of years. I can't even leave my house to come to this church to work during the week without kissing all of my kids and hugging them. And this father is saying, Jesus, I just want to say goodbye. I've been away from my family five days, and I've been crying like a baby at night. I'm telling you, 
we were out just in Key West for what, four days, three days. We were ready. We were done. Vacation. It didn't matter. We were in the most beautiful part of America, Key West. We were done. Give me my kids. Give me screaming babies. Give me boogie nose. Give me my kids. Better than a beach. Because I love my kids, right? But you see, Jesus understood. Just one look back can cost you everything. He says, no one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the kingdom of God. See, when they would plow and they wanted to have crops to feed their family, they would have to look forward as the oxen plowed. If they looked back even for a split second, the oxen would go in another direction and possibly go into another line and mess up what they were doing, and now they would have to start over. And here we get this example. You can't put your hand in the plow and look back. And all of a sudden, I start to realize when I drive my car here, in the modern-day example of a plow type thing, I drive my car here 70 miles an hour on the highway. I should be going a little slower, so pray for me. Drive my car 70 miles an hour. One of my children has a problem. How long do you think it takes before I kill us all? 70 miles an hour. Count it. Count it in your head. How long do you think it takes? Three, four, five, six, seven seconds. You want to follow Jesus, you put him first. Don't you think Jesus was smart, though? Jesus could have just said, as they went along the way, young boy, go tell that man's family, the father's with me. He had to be willing just to trust Jesus for 60 seconds. Jesus just wanted to see, I'm sure, will you just walk and keep going with me? I'm sure Jesus would have said something to his family. But it was to test his heart because if you don't, I can hear Jesus saying, if you don't trust me now, you won't trust me when it counts because they're going to start stringing me up pretty soon and beating me. And you're going to want to run and leave me. But if I teach you now, you're going to stick with this thing. And even the strongest among him decided to quit even at some times, didn't they? But thankfully, God went after them. We see that discipleship is a come and follow kind of thing. It's a deny yourself. It's a not looking back. It's putting no one before Jesus. And it goes on and on. I got 14 more, like uh, 10 more like this, right? You count the cost. You obey what Jesus says. You read and study that word. You pray. Excuse me. You stay committed to the church. You're accountable. You're willing to go out and share the faith. You're operating in spiritual gifts. You pursue leadership. You don't just want to be Jimmy and take all you can give me. You start giving out because you feel compelled to do for others what has been done to you. And, and you never give up. Can you do that without him? No. But can you do it with him? Can you do it with him? Amen. Somebody say discipleship. I preached a whole entire series on discipleship as well as we have a 30-day devotional on discipleship. You can see these two links for those resources online. Uh, uh, all of our resources are always online. These notes are online. Lastly, in closing, we don't have to say much about Christ's likeness because if we're a disciple obeying all that Jesus commanded, we'll be like Jesus in the world. If we do what Jesus said, we'll be like Jesus. How many believe that? And if I believe on the inside I've been made like him, I can now live like him. Look at this, command for Christ-likeness. Paul talking to another group of people in Ephesus, the one we read before was in Corinth. Ephesians 4.22, you were taught with regard to your former way of life to put off your old self with its, while it's being corrupted by its deceitful desires and to be made new. Where? In the attitude of your, where does the new life begin? In the attitude of your mind. And put on the what? New self created to be like, created to be like, 
now this side is up, this side is not. I need this side to help this side so we can say it all together. You guys ready? Created to be like. Created to be like. Bon Jovi, R. Kelly, created to be like Oprah Winfrey, Michelle Obama, Barack Obama, Donald Trump, Lady Gaga, Little Wayne, John Wayne, created to be like, when you were born again, what were you created to be like? God and what? In true righteousness and holiness. I can no more make myself holy than I can make myself a bird and fly out of this building today. But God made me holy. I cannot make myself righteous, but God made me righteous. He said, it is finished. I just have to believe. I've trusted in what I can never, I trust in what Jesus can do for me is what I can never do for myself. I can't save myself. Jesus saved me. Now that Jesus is inside of me, I can live righteous and holy. And i got to answer this because it comes up all the time. People say, well, then, Pastor, since being a Christian, have you ever sinned? You know, because you're acting like you never sinned. Yes, I've sinned, but the sin never changed my identity because I was quick to repent. Does my child sin since becoming a Wyrostic? But when they sin, do they stop being a Wyrostic? No. To not be a Wyrostic, they would have to make a declaration of emancipation from my house. And be emancipated. That's what it takes for us to backslide on God. It's literally blaspheming him, trampling on his blood, and walking away. Do I believe it can be done? Yes. But I'm talking to people here today that I believe that don't want to do that. But you still may be finding yourself in sin, and then you condemn yourself. And then you say, well, I must not be new because I didn't act new. And I must not be created like God because I sure don't act like him. And God is saying, it's not that your behavior is going to change your thinking. Your thinking needs to change your behavior. Before as a man thinks, so is he. So you don't need to start making yourself a better person. Start believing you are the person who God made you to be, and you'll act like it. Let me say it like this. When I started to believe that God made me sinless, I started to sin less. When I believed that God had made me holy, I could start to live holy. When I believed that God had perfected my salvation and my spirit, I believed that I could walk out in that perfection. Have I stumbled and fallen? Yes, but I am quick to repent when the Lord convicts me. Are you? Because those are the people God calls his own. He said, though the righteous man stumbles seven times, they get back up. How many have stumbled and gotten back up? Because God is there with you, is he not? What is the definition of Christ-likeness? It means not to reflect the image of God in your daily life. He is the S-O-N sun, and you're the moon of his reflection. The, sun has no, uh, the moon has no light of its own. It only can reflect what comes from the sun. You are to reflect God wherever you go. Is it always easy? No, because a lot of times we don't want to act like Jesus. We would rather act like the things we used to be like, the devil and the old self. But the more we make the habit of acting like Christ, the more natural it will become. How many of you, since serving God, have now found it's more natural not to cuss than it is to cuss? Now, some of you must still be cussing then because not a lot of hands went up. Now, maybe you never used to cuss, so I don't want to put you in that category. But how many of you used to cuss? Raise your hands. Okay, so we had a lot of people used to cuss, swear. Okay, keep your hands raised. Keep your hands raised. Now, how many of you have learned that it comes natural not to swear? Put your hands down. Everybody else, keep your hands up. Okay, some of you who it comes still natural to swear, it's because the Christian discipline of meditating on God's word hasn't become 
a normal part of your life. No one probably swore more than me. I was a typical skateboarding kid, and literally it was an F-bomb after every other word. Like, oh, man, like blankety-blank that, dude, and blank that. Oh, really? Blank, man. Blank. Oh, man. That's how we talked as kids. Some of you can relate to that. I remember last time I swore. Last time. 1996, skateboarding. (laughs) And I had fallen off, and I got up, and I was so mad, I started beating my skateboard on the ground. I was cussing like an idiot. And then you know what one of my friends said to me? They said to me, Joe, I thought you were supposed to be a Christian, man. That was enough for me to say, I'm done with that. That was enough for me. Everybody has to make a decision when enough becomes enough for you. I remember last time I looked at pornography. Remember, I've taught you this before. There's a time when you can stop sinning the sins you're sinning. Every one of us can stop sinning these sins. Every one of us has been freed from them. The Bible says whoever knows the truth, the truth shall set them or make them free. There was a time I never swore again. There was a time I never stole again. Remember last week I told you about the last time I lied? Right? What if I told you last time I cheated on my wife was last night? Would that be okay? Why is that not okay for me but okay for you, right? It shouldn't be. We should live holy and be like Christ. Here's something I want you to consider in closing. Rachel, would you come please? Rachel, when is your due date for your baby? The 17th of August. Let's give it up for Rachel because she might have her baby up here. Rachel is one of our nurses in the church, and she believes that whatever she did before she was pregnant, she can do now that she is pregnant. No, I'm kidding. Have a kid. Have you ever seen those women that are pregnant and they're doing squats and all those things? Probably don't want to recommend that, but thank you for coming out. I know like last time your belly was like here and you were having to play like this. (laughs) You're so nice. Could someone help her as well? Brian, would you help her move this? Or do you got it? Brian, maybe help her just a little bit because last time it didn't get tightened enough because she does have to tighten this. Here's some of the verses that I want you to consider in closing. 1 John 4, 7. This is how love is made complete among us so that we can have confidence, confidence on judgment day. In this world, we are like Jesus. Are you confident in that? Because the one who says, Pastor, nobody's perfect. Do you think those people are confident to face God on Judgment Day? No. Why am I confident to face God on Judgment Day? Because in this world, I'm like Jesus. Oh, Pastor, you're so prideful. Oh, look at you. You're just like Jesus, huh, Mr. Goody Tushu? Finally, I got to meet a perfect person. Nice to meet you, Mr. Pastor Perfect. That's how people think when I say that. But no, 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 no. No, 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 no. You didn't, you didn't read the verse. This is how love is made complete. Where does my perfection come from, my good works or from God's love? Oh, somebody needs that today. It didn't say it came from me. This word complete, can I show it to you in the Greek? 1 John 4, 17. It's the same exact word we use for perfection. Same exact word. Look at it in the Greek, my brothers and sisters. The word complete Teleitiai or teleo, it literally means perfect. How does the person become made perfect? By love. There is no fear in love. Look at the next verse. If you think I'm just making, well, I don't see love in there. Oh, here it is. There's no fear in love because perfect love drives out all fear. And fear has to do with punishment because you think You're not good enough because you didn't do it good enough. You have a works mentality. That's why you fear punishment. You're not thinking about love and gift. We finally got some shekels from the accident we were in with my family. 
Six of us were in an accident that totaled both of our cars. My wife had to get rushed to the emergency room, two surgery, two surgeries, broken ankle, had to put about three or four plates in there, I think 40 screws. Her big check is coming. We got the check for myself and my four kids. You've never felt out of control as a parent, as you can imagine I did that day. Stormy snow day, cars total, wife screaming, four kids in the car in the middle of the highway, not highway, but road. What's going on, Jesus? But I felt God's peace there. Praise God. Praise God. He was there with me. But watch this. We got some of those shekels in. When it came to get them gifts, Lucas acted bad that day. And I said, Lucas, you can't get your gift today. You can't get it. You were bad. And that's normally how we do our allowance system, and it's really cool, and it works. But then I felt a conviction in my heart. And I'll probably cry telling you this because it was so touching to watch how God protected my kids in that accident. Thank God nothing else happened. But the Lord spoke to me and said, Joe, the checks that were put in his name that you got to cash that are now in the bank, was that his today or was that his from a long time ago, before today? And I go, Lord, that's from before today. And he goes, nothing he did today can change that. So I worked out something. I said, I'm buying it for you today, but you get to play with it tomorrow. And then I just felt like the Lord shared that with me. He goes, that's how I do it with you. I never stop wanting to give you things, even when you mess up, even when you just, you don't deserve it. I still got it for you, but I wait to give it to you at the right time. And I just wonder how many of us haven't allowed God's love to make us perfect because we're still looking at our situations and letting our situations dictate our identity. We shouldn't let our emotions and situations dictate our identity. We should let the word of the Lord dictate who we are. Amen. There's no fear in love because perfect love drives out all fear because fear has to do with punishment. The one who fears is not perfect in love. So today, my friend, I want you to think about that scripture that we are like Jesus in this world if we truly know how much he loves us. For God so loved me that he sent his son to die on the cross so that I might have eternal life when I believe. It's his love that perfected me. It's his grace that saved me, not me, myself. And this last scripture, if there were to be a last scripture, this would probably be it for today. Thank you for your patience. Psalms 86, 15. But you, Lord, you, Lord, you are compassionate. You are gracious, God. You are slow to anger. You are abounding in love. You are full of faithfulness. You see, some of us view our salvation like this. I make these charts to help make it easier for you. I hope you get this. We think when we come to salvation, we start off 0%. I love you, Jesus. And then now every day we got to go on the good works treadmill and maybe boop, 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 we get to 10% saved. Okay, I'm about 10% saved. 90% of me is still jacked up and messed up, but Jesus loves me. Okay, then I work harder. 20%, boop, 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 boop. 30%, boop, 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 boop. and we believe this flesh. It's not in the Bible, but we believe the flesh. God's still working on me, and one day I'll be who he wants to be to be, because nobody's perfect. And we don't understand the day you got saved, you were made perfect. 
The day you got saved, you were saved from your sins. The day you got saved, you and I were created anew. Look at 2 Corinthians 5, 17. This is the Bible. Therefore, if anyone, any sinner, any bad sinner, any somewhat good sinner, all these ways we judge ourselves as sinners. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ Jesus, the new creation has what? It has come. Where is it? Right here. The old is gone. The new is here. Is there a new creation in you? Is there a new creation in you? Is there a new creation in you? There should be because that's what Jesus died for. Nothing less than God's best. Nothing less than his best. And so before we stand up and pray, would you just close your eyes with me today? Examine your heart. And look inside and ask the Lord, am I your disciple living in this world? like you. If you are not, do you want to be? If you do, ask Jesus to forgive you of your sins, to make you a new creation. You can be his disciple right now. Right now you can be made new. For those of you who would be searching your heart and you would say, kind of, sort of. Does that count? Kind of, sort of. I want you to release your sins, your doubts, your fears, your anxieties, your worries, your excuses to the Lord and confess over your life who he said you are. Just repent of sin and go, I'm not that. I'm not, a, I'm not an adulterer. I'm not, I'm not a pornography addict. I'm not an angry father. I'm a child of God. Lord, forgive me when I haven't acted like you. I'm pure. I'm holy, Jesus. Forgive me when I didn't believe it. And then for those of you, the third category, who would say, yeah, man, I, I'm, I'm who God said I am. Pastor, maybe I was at your first service, so I, I'm right. I know I'm right. Why don't you just start to ask him right now, what does he want you to do to reflect his glory in your life? Basically say, Jesus, now where do we go? Now what's next? Three categories of people. If you didn't catch it, here it is in closing while we're praying. Those who aren't born again, those who really need to start by asking Jesus into their life. Those who are born again but really deal with an identity crisis. Don't really truly believe who God says you are yet. Get rid of that stinking thinking and start to trust him today. No more excuses. Follow after him. And third, those who say, I'm right where I'm supposed to be. But I'm waiting for my next assignment. I'm waiting for the next move few moments right now as Rachel begins to sing, oh how he loves us. Would you dim the lights a little bit please? Put up the words so they can sing it if they want to. Let's just have a few moments of prayer. I don't know about you, but I know he loves me today and I want to make sure I'm doing this thing right. I'm not partially saved, I'm all the way saved. And when I don't act like it, it's because I didn't believe change my thinking so it starts in my attitude that I can live this out the way he created me to be like him true righteousness true holiness come on just a few more moments we'll put the words up
we continue singing, I'm going to ask that we would stand up today. If you feel like giving the Lord a hand clap of praise, I would say go for it. Come on, if you really love him, Jesus, we love you. Altar workers, would you come? I know that the second service, folks, I know you guys love Jesus. You come out in the heat of the day. You know, last week it was hot. Some, some of the things you guys were going through, I didn't understand because I had these fans up here next to me. And uh, you guys had to get out of your house and come into the church and all that. And when I walked outside, it was like, <laughs> I can hardly breathe, you know. So I thank you guys for coming out, even on hot days. I know today it's not like that, but you could have been somewhere else. Here's what I want to say in closing as we get one of the brothers to move this out of my way for me, please. Is that, thank you, is that we really want to make sure that serving God and being his disciple and reflecting him is not out of begrudgery, something we do to get a reward, but it's because of his love. I don't know about you, but the first day I met Jesus, 18 years old, I knew God every now and then, like as a kid growing up in church, I would feel his presence, and it was special. But I didn't really like know him, know him, until I was 18 years old at my mother's kitchen table, and that was like the first time. I don't know about you what it was like for you, but that day for me, it wasn't about a laundry list of things I needed to do, like, oh, I need to start memorizing my Bible, going to church, Christian service, financial stewardship. You know what it was? It was love. It was love that captured my heart. And as I went home that day, I literally kept thinking to myself, why didn't I do this sooner? This is amazing. This is awesome. Why did I wait so long? And so if you're here today wrestling with God, I just want to leave you with that thought. Don't wait. Surrender your heart to him. Give it all to him. I know that you can look good here for a few hours and maybe look different out there. Be real with God here. Give it all up. Come up to some of these prayer workers for anything that's in your heart today. And have them pray with you, right? If you just want encouragement. But no matter what you do, don't leave out here the same way you came. Leave out of here hand in hand with the Lord. Him in your family, in your life, in your job, everywhere you go. Filling, his, filling your heart with his love. Amen? Can I tell you a story about Stephanie before we close? Because she's going to pray for us. Uh, Stephanie has a precious, precious story. Stephanie, come up here so everybody can see you, please. This young lady has an amazing story. There was a young girl that was a part of the youth group, and I used to have to do both, youth group and Sundays, and she was a cool kid, you know, played sports and everything, but she came to church by herself all the time. And I'm like, there is no way you can't bring somebody to church with you. I'm like, you're not even trying. Oh, I'm trying, Pastor, just nobody wants to come. I'm like, stop asking the same four friends at your lunch table and go ask new people. And this is literally what I told that young girl. I said, go find somebody who doesn't look like they got any friends or doesn't look like they fit into the crowd. And guess who she went out and found? This beautiful young lady who should have been into the crowd and all of that, because you're the awesomeness, by the way. But they went and found Stephanie. She found and brought her. That girl didn't go to the church after a while. But Stephanie kept coming. God did so many amazing things in her heart. As a matter of fact, what I would like you to do, Stephanie, is get the guitar, and then Brian, get her a microphone. Find another microphone, because I want her to sing with Rachel in closing. And I want her to pray for us today because you know what she reminds me of? Is that God goes after us when no one else thinks we really matter. Amen. God went after her. And when she started to come to the church, she would be weeping at the altars, crying. And you know what it was that captured her heart? 
is that Jesus loves me. This I know, for the Bible tells me so. She fell in love with the Jesus that had a plan for her life. Do we not have another microphone stand? Let's get her to have this one then. Give her this one, guys. Grab that microphone and get it for her, please. Thank you. You can do it, young man. Thank you. Yeah. I want her to pray and I want her to sing. How many think that's a good way to end the service about God's great love? Amen. Because if this shy girl who didn't have a lot of friends sitting at the lunch table could become a worship leader in our church, a youth leader, a Bible college graduate, and become awesome for Jesus, then you can too, sir. You can too, couple. Come on. You guys can too. No excuses. This girl was so shy. When That's why I want the Lord to have her sing for us. I want you to hear what the Lord did in her heart. Because she was so shy that she would be, when we would ask her to pray, she'd be like, oh, Jesus, Jesus, I love you. You'd, be, you'd almost feel bad for her. Like, oh, okay, you don't have to pray. But I kept saying to her, you got to pray. you got to pray because you've got a heart. You've got a heart after God. Amen. Help him, please. Thank you. You did it. It's awesome. He knew how to do it. I'm buying us some time because we're not in a hurry. But we're going to end with you singing. No, I want you to play the guitar too, please. I want both because you need a pick. Just use your hands because I want this to come from your heart today. I'm giving you this chance because you know why God did something in your heart, and I want the world to hear it. Do you want them to hear it? If you don't want to, that's okay. What did? What was your issue? I need to hear it. What's? Can you give her the chords? I'll play it in her notes. You, you, I want you to play then play a song you know. What song do you know? Play any song you want in closing. I want it to be your time because this spoke to my heart about you. Can you set a fire? Let's do set a fire. Is that cool? Has anybody got a problem with set a fire? What key are we going to sing set a fire in? Um, there we go. Everybody good? We're back to this. I want her to do this in the second service. You know why? Because I want her to see what God can do through her life. And I want you to see what God can do through her life. Tell me when you're ready because I want you to pray and then I want you to sing with everything I know you got. You ready? Okay, now pray for those who have to go and then sing for us, please. Thank you. Put her up too, please. Come on. Thank you, Jesus. We thank you that your Holy Spirit is working and moving as the word is just being brought for us, Lord God. And we just welcome you into our lives, God. We ask for the people who are leaving, Lord God, that you would go and be with them, Lord, that this word would carry on throughout the week, Lord, and that they would just let you have their way in your life. And it's in your name, God, we pray. Come on, somebody say amen. Let's bless him one more time. And now if you want to stay for the after party, go and take us out of this after party. Sing it for us, girl. Go ahead.